This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American waterfowl. Hello and welcome to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. My name is Elliot and I've got a really, really special guest on today. I think that you're going to enjoy hearing from him. If you listen to my other podcast, the Flatlander Kennels Podcast with Chris Jobman, it's Chris Jobman that's coming on today. So he and I have a podcast that revolves all around um, water dogs, gun dogs. Chris is one of the most acclaimed trainers in North America. He has been training dogs for over 25 years. He's clear out in Western Nebraska at his Flatlander Kennels Complex, where I spent quite a bit of time there this summer. Georgie and I were working out there, and I was getting footage for to run some video, and we actually have a Flatlander Kennels YouTube channel, Flatlander Kennels podcast. We got a lot going on with that, and he trains dogs for people. He is heavily involved in the HRC hunt test, AKC hunt test, but he's done them all all of the field trials in his past. He's done all that stuff, right? But these days, his kennel, generally speaking, is in AKC, Master Nationals, HRC, the Grand, and he is at least, when it comes to trainers who have titled the most gun dogs for a Grand title, that's an HRC title, that's the top level, it's called the Grand. And if you're in the hunt test world, you know what that is. He has something like 52, 56, something like that. He's titled that many dogs to the Grand. The Grand has a pass percent of somewhere around 20 to 25%. Some, some years it's 13%. Some years it's 25%. So out of all the dogs that go there, only about a quarter of them, only about a one out of every four actually pass it. And you have to, you can't just pass in one is not going to get you a grand title, a grand champion dog. 
there's there's a lot more to it. I think you have to you have got to have a certain number of points overall. You have to pass it a couple times, and so it's a really really difficult standard to set by. And Chris has has got. I'm sure he'll tell us a number in the fifties. So if you're looking to get into the gun dog world and you want resources for how to train them, where to go information over there on that podcast, the Flatlander Kennels podcast, we are going through Chris's flow chart. The, the flow chart is basically we have started with puppies and going clear to the end of the training process. So just with those audios, each step is an hour, about an hour. And we're going through step by step by step. So if you want to up your training game, if you want to get into it, or we also have Q&As, we've got lots of stuff over there. So go and check out that podcast. But the reason I'm having on Chris today is we're going to talk about mostly about his hunting life. He has a section of land leased out on the Platte River. And if you don't know where the, the Platte River is, just a historic waterfowl territory in North America. Most North American waterfowlers have heard of the Platte River and he's got some fantastic ground on the Platte and um, he's got a club there. It's not a guide. It's like a club and you, it's just, I hear it's fantastic. I'm hoping to get a trip out there in December this year and I can bring some of those videos to you guys and see how he does it. And uh, he does things a little bit differently. Um, which I'll let him get into that, but we're going to talk about all of that stuff when I have him on here in just a little bit. So it ought to be really, really exciting. Certainly a colorful character. So check out the podcast, check out the YouTube channel. And, and, and I think that you, um, will be glad that you did that. But before I have him on here, let's go ahead and run down the partners. I was actually, before I got on this podcast, I was reorganizing all of my hunting clothes because I've got a bunch. I've got a bunch, a lot more, honestly, more than I can even like and good stuff. Like I've got to get it inside closets. I just have so much crap, but I was wanting to, I've got like a, a tree. I'm looking at it right now, like a little tree of where I can hang up all my stuff. And so I, I organized my podcast room and I, Went through all of my stuff, shirts here, hoodies there, so forth. And then I packed for this this weekend's trip that, that's coming up. Um, and final approach. Um, a lot of what I'm wearing this year is final approach stuff. From the hoodies to the waiter pants to the jackets to the waiters. And so as I'm going through all of my stuff and looking at this final approach stuff, I, I really really love it. I really, really do. It is just, I like the color schemes. I like the pattern schemes. I like how it fits. It's really, really good stuff. So if you're looking for outerwear, innerwear, hoodies, coats, um, rain protection, fabrand.com is where you want to go check that out. And you can get 10% off with FDH 10. That'll give you 10% off of that. But I would just, if you're looking for that stuff, go at least take a look at it because before so the way that I got um, hooked in with, with Final Approach is Josh from Outdoor Limits, which he's part of the Flyways Collective. He's a buddy of mine. He started working for Rogers. And then the Rogers guys bought the Final Approach brand, and they're just renovating it. And so I really didn't have my what I had in my mind as far as Final Approach and what they might offer and the quality of what they offered. What they actually offer great sur surpasses what I thought because 
they they took that company and they just read redone it. They just redone the whole thing. So go check out what they've got. FABrand.com. FDH10 if you want 10% off. At least just take take a look at that. And also, if you are in the market for duck calls, Bobby Hayes' company, Ducklander Calls, go over there. They've got anything. They're pretty high-end calls. They're not, they're not just your cheap $20 specials for sure. Every one of them is hand-tuned by the killer, Bobby Hayes himself. He puts so much effort into each and every call. And so go and check out what he's got. They've got things, you know, from like 75 to 150. I don't know. That's kind of the range of calls, but if you're looking for a high quality call that you know that you can trust, ducklandercalls.com. And the code over there is NAW10 NA. No, I'm sorry, NA23, NAW23 and 10% off. And finally, Onyx Hunt. They just, I, I, they just added a feature to Onyx that I got a, I got a Marco Polo from Jake chasing green yesterday. And he said, have you seen this new feature of Onyx? And apparently if you go into, there's a section where you can switch it from like a topo math to map to a 2d to, and they've got a section with recent images. This is an absolute game changer. So every couple of weeks they put on new satellite imagery. So I've got a trip planned at the end of October that I've only been to this place one time. And now I can look at the map with recent imagery. And when you're looking for water levels, recent imagery just cannot be beat. So make sure that you download Onyx maps, Onyx hunt and, and get an upgrade, upgrade your waterfowl game. So anyway, um, if you're interested in that, so let's go ahead here and hop into this. I'm going to bring Chris on and let's get right in to this podcast. All right, Chris, thank you for joining us over here on the North American waterfowler podcast. How's everything going out there in Nebraska? Absolutely. Um, temperatures are changing. They're getting cooler. It's about time for duck season and goose season and pheasant season. And as soon as the grand and the master national are done, I will be hunting. But as of right now, I have not shot anything. I haven't dove hunted. I haven't teal hunted. I can't wait, actually. Yeah, this cold front could not come at a better time. We've got the opener this weekend. So I'm, I've got three out of the next four weekends are just huge oh. weekends for me, starting with the opener this weekend. And then Sand Hills the weekend after that. And then a couple weeks after that, we're going to go to the Missouri River, clear up by South Dakota. So, man, oh, lots of good, good stuff. For you. Good, good for you. I'm happy for you. I hope you fall in, actually. <laughs> I, hope you fill your waders. I hope you fill your waders of water. I mean, did you say, loving way ever. Did you say you hope I drowned? <laughs> yeah, I hope I hope you like get like fall down and your waders fill up with water, and then you have to sit there in it cold all day. And I'm gonna be around the Grand of the National, so uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, I'm glad that we get to talk some hunting because we've talked lots and lots about dogs. Although I do want to hit some dog stuff okay. today on this, but I am really excited to talk more about specifically the Platte River because I talked about it on the intro that if you're a North American waterfowler, you've heard of the Platte River. It's like it's, people know about it. It's historic. Well, we're on we're but we're on the the North Platte River, so we're on the northern leg of it i guess you would say 
Is there an area of it that's more historic than others or people just know? Cause like me, be, even like being from Kansas, I've always heard of the Platte river. I yeah. didn't really, you've educated to me at that area, how there's kind of a North and a South. And so is just the whole thing historic or I know your area is kind of one of the better areas. Our area is ter- terrible. Everybody stay out. <laughs> well, it's all private. So it's not like, you know, <laughs> it is. It's all private. But, you but, catch some um, people walking in on your land. There's going to be some that, problems. No, that, that'd be a bad deal, but no, <laughs> So the, the, everybody says the Platte River. And so the Platte River, actually, the Platte River is formed just the town of North Platte, just east of there, 10 or 15 miles. The, the North Platte and the South Platte merge to make the Platte. Okay. Okay. Now, the South Platte starts in Colorado, and it comes through Colorado, and it, it comes in the, through Ogallala, Nebraska, but it starts in Colorado. The North Platte also starts in Colorado, but it comes up through Wyoming and down by us. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's two legs of it. And like I said, just east of the town, North Platte, is they, make, they come together and make the Platte. Now, when um, they come I, together, I, is that much larger? Yes, it gets okay. much lighter. Water gets much slower. Um, it freezes every year. Every it, it's it's a much wider, slower river, and it all freezes. Um, where we live, it, it very very seldom freezes. Last year was our the worst I've ever seen it. It, it got so cold and miserable, and the wind was blowing the snow, and it was a terrible winter. But mm-hmm. um, we were on the rec, we were on the pace to set the record for our duck for our duck clubs um, for shooting ducks. But it actually froze for fourteen days, which mm-hmm. is unheard of out mm-hmm. here. It was like. The perfect storm. What happened is we got a bunch of snow and we were, man, we were hammering the ducks. We were having an unbelievable season. And then what ended up, and then we got 50 mile an hour winds with it. Mm-hmm. And what happened was now the North Platte. December? Lived, this was December? Yeah, that December, really? Yeah, it was, it was horrible. That blast late December. Oh, it was terrible. And, and our river will slush up. It will get slush in it, but very, very seldom will ever freeze solid. And this is like, I've only seen it freeze solid once or twice in my entire life up here. Last year, it got so cold and so much snow and it blew 50 mile an hour wind. What happened was it blew all the snow in the water. Mm-hmm. And it made like a milkshake, right? right? And then it got super cold and it locked it up. I, I literally walked across the river last year, which I've mm-hmm. never done for two weeks. I was going crazy and then it finally opened up and it, you know, it opened up and ice was everywhere and it was, it's a bad deal. Why but does it, it not freeze? It's narrower. It's narrower. It's moving faster. And where we live, we have a lot of warm water sloughs that are coming from the North. Um, and it just warm water is coming in, in all different sides from this thing. Why is and it warm? I don't understand. Why is it, it warm? It comes out of the ground. So it's, it's just warm coming out of the ground. Okay. Naturally, I think, and don't quote me on this, but I think it's water comes out of the ground like at 56 degrees or something. So okay. these are just natural springs that form up north of us, not very far, you know, 15 miles north of us. And they that's where it comes, water comes out of the ground right there. And it, they start dumping into the, in the North Platte River and it keeps it open. But, but our big deal is it, it's not very wide. I mean, the widest part of the river where I hunt is – maybe a hundred yards, mm-hmm. maybe it's not very wide and it's moving pretty quick. And the key, the whole key to our, where we are at is, is it's shallow. Um, mm-hmm. 
not all of it's shallow. I think the deepest part, there's some over your head, you know, by the stumps and stuff. But, you know, we hunt in, in anywhere from knee deep to ankle deep water. Mm-hmm. And the key to the river is the shallow parts. And it, there's like islands and sandbars everywhere. Mm-hmm. So that's where the birds live. And we have cornfields everywhere. Right. And so one, it never really freezes. Our birds get here and they don't leave. The, 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 like the lessers leave, then the big geese come in. And then, you know, the ducks, when the ducks get here, a lot of times they just stay the entire year. Yeah. It's, so it's when it weird... froze, did all the ducks, was it just the whole area void of waterfowl at that time? No, it, you should have seen it, Elliot. It was the craziest thing you ever seen. So my oldest son, Caden, and, and, and Andrew, they, they were on a mission to find these damn things. And all the warm water sloughs 15, 20 miles north of the river were completely packed with ducks. I'm talking... Wow. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of ducks. They didn't go anywhere. Uh-huh. The stayed. geese just hunkered down on the river. They stayed there. They're like, we're, we're here. You know, where's cornfield still? I know there's snow, but we're, we're good. We're just going to hunker down. They, they hunkered down. The ducks got off of the river, and we're just on all these little backwater sloughs everywhere, and they were everywhere. And then it was the weirdest thing. It happens when, when, when it gets really cold like that, what happens is they get off the river, they go north. Now, we did lose some south, don't get me wrong, but not like people think. Because all my buddies that were south of us, I'm like, you guys have got to be pounding ducks right now because we lost them. They're like, we're not shooting anything. Hmm. We don't know where they're at. And then, so I got to think, well, Colorado's not killing them. New Mexico's not killing them. They're not killing them in Kansas and Oklahoma. So we looked around and we found them. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't leave. And it was, and they just hunkered down. But then when it warmed up and then the river opened all up, it yeah. was like another migration. Wow. They all came off of those and they all came back to the river. It was the craziest thing you've ever seen. But the problem with that was where I hunt is really unique. I, I keep a half a mile of our river for a refuge. It's our own personal refuge. We don't even walk in it. We don't hunt in it. We don't drive in it. Or we don't, don't even look at it. And we had tens and tens of thousands of mallards live in there ducks they're they're everywhere i mean maybe even more than that well and that kept us going on and that's a super unique thing most people out here don't do that but we do that and when our it froze up on us our refuge left they went north our refuge never built back up again because what ended up happening was they didn't come back to our refuge there's other bigger private refuges in the area and they our ducks followed all those ducks to there. Mm-hmm. So they all patterned to the, there were humongous groups in certain areas of the river. And once that happens, they quit flying up and down the river. They just all live together. Yeah. And, 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 and how you hunt the North Platte, you basically run traffic is what you do where we live. You run traffic. And I always tell people, you got to think of the North Platte river as like a highway. They fly up and down the highway. And if you have a, if you're concealed really, really well, you've got really nice water and you've got really nice decoy spread, you're going to get ducks, mm-hmm. especially if the wind's blowing, if the wind's blowing. If they don't fly up and down the river, we're done. They, they just, you just don't move. They don't move. And, they, they, and what happened is after it froze up, they all got really, really patterned. And on days the wind blew and it was the perfect conditions, we did great. The days that the weather conditions weren't perfect, we really struggled. Where before the cold snap, it didn't matter what the weather conditions were because we were killing ducks that were living on our, my refuge on, yeah. our, on our club. It was it was the weirdest thing. 
Oh, it was frustrating. Yeah, that's really interesting. Now, why, why would you said they went north? Why would they go north? Where were they going? To the to the sloughs, the open water. Oh, so that's they were going what, just north to those sloughs, not like migrating way north, just a little like no, no, no. Miles. They're going, they were going anywhere from ten to twenty miles north okay. of us. That's gotcha. where all that warm water starts. That's where they were all living. Yeah, but none of the none of the warm water is really south of us. It's all north of us. There's a little bit south of us, but not a whole lot in a certain area there is. But they all went a little bit north, and just that's where they lived. They, they hunkered down, and they lived there. And you you could seriously drive 30 miles north of us and find 100,000 100, duck feet. Wow. It was insane. It was absolutely insane. They would find the snow was so deep, and a lot of the farmers, you know, keep cows on the corn stalks in this area, and they feed those cows in those corn stalks well that's where the ducks go because the, the cows the, beat the, down the snow the cows feet open up the snow the cows feet open up the snow and the feed and if you could find at that time if you could find cows you'll find ducks that's fascinating i've always thought like around here we don't hardly ever have no ducks where i live it's like nothing ever gets all the way south of us They'll, yeah. they'll stop here, except if you get that six to eight inch snow and the even the rivers and the lakes freeze. That's like the one scenario in which the birds are south. But then as soon as that opens back up, they're right back there. But I've never yeah, thought yeah. about that cow. Like during those times, if you were to drive around and look for cows in fields, I've never I've never heard anyone. But talk there's about so that. many. I mean, Ellie, the number of birds we have where we live, it's it looks like Canada. It's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of. Them. It, it's hard to explain. Um, it's a very unique ecosystem out here because the river isn't real wide. It's not very big, but it chokes all. That's where the birds live. They choke. It chokes them all in one spot. Now it's linear, so it's it's for miles. You know, it, it's yeah. big. You know. <laughs> But they, it, it, they're not scattered all over hell in these little potholes. And they're not scattered north in, in open lakes and ponds. They don't do that because they're, they're frozen. Yeah, they're, They all congregate to the river, and that's where they sit, lay, live, and stay. And it's, and it's getting – our hunting is getting better because, as you know – so I started my refuge probably five years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I take that back. So go back a little farther to, to your whole history – lead into what you're talking about, but go through your whole history with this property. Like when did you first start hunting this stretch of, I have probably hunted. I've almost, I've been on this property on the river for over almost 20 years. Okay. Okay. Um, and I know this place like the back of my hand. I love it. Like it's, I'm telling you if, 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 if I, if I can't, if I can't hunt that property, I'll probably be done. hunting. I'll probably be done. It's going to hurt my feelings that bad. Yeah. Um, I love it. And it's a mile, a mile you have access to. A mile and a half. mile and a half. I have exclusive rights on a mile and a half of the North Platte River, which is, for a single person, is almost unheard of. It's usually an outfitter that's got that or not even an outfitter has that, to be quite honest with you. But Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's a very, but I, I know the landowner, we're really good friends. You know, we've we've been in business together. It's, it's, it's a great property. I treat it like it's my own and my kids treat it. I mean, it's, it's a great place, but I've watched this property. Now, I didn't start out with a mile and a half. I started out with a quarter of a mile. Then I, another person got out and I got their quarter of a mile. Then another person got out. I just started building it all up as, as mm-hmm. it went. And I could, now I've got it all. But I've watched this property gather all these birds. And then so about, this is the third year. This will be the, th- now I have the entire property for three years. So this is the third year. And what I did was I shut down the, 
the west end of our property. Mm-hmm. So the west half a mile, we don't hunt it. We don't touch it. We don't walk through it. We don't mm-hmm. drive through it. We don't do anything. And if I catch you over there, you're out of the club. I ain't kidding you. I, I, I'm that serious about it. Right. I mean, it's a pain in the butt for us. We drive all the way around it to go in there hunting. It's a pain in the butt, but it, it pays dividends. And what we've done is, is we, we started managing this property and we'll have 30, 40,000 geese living on it when they get here. And they live there. They don't, they don't go anywhere. And the ducks just live there. And, and you'll walk into the blind one morning to set up and there's a thousand mallards sitting right, I mean, right there. It's, 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 it's up and down this entire property, but we manage it and we don't hunt every inch of it. So we have a mile that we hunt. And on that mile, we only have three blinds. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fixed permanent uh, blinds. Three permanent blinds. They're really, really okay. nice. And we only hunt one blind a day. Mm-hmm. So if our members are all in and we're all buddies, we have a very exclusive club. There's only eight members. Um, we all hunt together. Right. We don't be, and, and if for some reason we have more than we can put in a blind, then we hunt a mile apart. So one group will hunt the East end, the jet blind, and one group will hunt the West end, which is the pistol. Now we leave. So now the West end is, closed because that's our refuge and now we have a mile between blinds that we're not hunting either oh that's amazing see what i'm saying yeah we, that's incredible. in a lot of places you'll have a blind every quarter of a mile yeah north side south side north side south side so the ducks and, and geese don't have, they have zero plate that's that's free they they, they can't even sit down they're, they're scared yeah. to death but we manage it so like i said our closest hunter is a mile away and that's one of our groups Mm-hmm. But if we can, we keep everybody hunting together. And yeah. we and we we have a lot of weird rules for our club. We have we've made rules and it's it's I gotta tell you, I drive a bunch of people crazy, but that's it's just how I live and how I hunt. That's how yeah, I Yeah, I wanna hear it. I wanna hear more about all these rules. Oh man, I tell you what, it's something. talk talk about the you can talk about whichever one you want, but I mean I'm curious about the shot selection thing and how you told me you don't shoot any passing geese, even no. if they're 20 yards away and the philosophy behind that to go through your quirky. I think they're fantastic by the way, but okay, so they are, I'm, I say quirky cause they're unusual compared to how people. Yeah. Do. Well, I'm a small gauge guy and I was shooting a 20 gauge and a 28 gauge before it was popular. Um, that's just how I like to do things. And I shot, trust me, I shot 12 gauge forever, but I started the small gauge thing years and years ago before it was even popular. A bunch of us started doing it. Well, we have a rule on in our club. Now, you know, you guys have to understand we have goose pits in the fields. We have goose pits in meadows and cornfields and everything. Our club rule is you cannot shoot anything bigger than a 20 gauge. Mm-hmm. No 12 gauges are not zero 12 gauges are allowed in the, in the blinds. Even if you bring a guest, that guest has to shoot a 20 gauge. Do you allow that, that, them even on the property? Correct. <laughs> We have check your trunk when you're all in. We have extra 20 gauges. If you don't own a 20 gauge, then we have one for you. Because I'm not, I'm telling you, you're not shooting a 12 gauge. And and um so you have and there's days, Elliot, that we'll be like, okay, guys, let's do 28 today. Like, okay. And we'll all grab a 28 gauge. Right. All that's all we shoot. Uh-huh. Now I do have a 20 gauge because I'm the guy that always has to run down the damn river. Um, me and Flash are running down the river picking up cripples. So I don't want to shoot a 28 gauge at a cripple. So I have yeah. a 20 gauge. I take off with a 20 gauge, but right. so I, I have that with me, but we'll all shoot 
28s. And there's days where like, okay, guys, 410 day. That's all we're doing is 410s. Do and you like, have that many 410s? You, you're, you're, yes. Your club yes. guests must have a lot of, like, I've got a 410. I got to have a 28. I got to have a 20. <laughs> yes. They, they all have it. They all have it. Because they and love it. They're into the. They, uh, they, they, but, but it took a little while for these guys to get on board with me because a lot of my members are from South Carolina and Georgia and, you know, and, and Florida where they don't see decoy birds like they have here. So they want to shoot everything at 60 yards and in. Yeah. So when they first joined and we first hunted, they're like, let's get them. I'm like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Like we would be shooting them. Like it's 50 freaking yards. We're not, that's why we shoot 20. We're going to get yeah. them closer. And now, yeah. now they believe in it. They're like, hell yeah. And, and I called a shot last year. It was like, I don't know, Elliot, 30 yards. Mm-hmm. And and I knew it wasn't going to come any closer than that. So we called a shot at 30 yards. And one of my members was like, well, that was a little far, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Fully like, indoctrinated. Like, 100%. <laughs> like, a little far. I'm like, yeah, you're right. My bad. I'm so excited. <laughs> so, and it's funny. And, and we'll even go the 28s and the 410 hunts in the goose pits. Like, we'll literally 410 hunt geese. Mm-hmm. And now with shooting a smaller boar and a gauge, you have to take closer shots. Right. That's just all there is to it. So your blinds have to be hidden really well. You have to have good calling. You got to have a good spread. And so if you can't kill them with a 410, we just don't shoot at them. It's not that big a deal. And to me, and me and my boys and my wife and all, everybody, it's not about how many you kill. It's about the show. Yeah. And I want to see the show. Yep. And, and if I can't get them feet down – and, and watch them fight the wind and watch them touch their wingtips together and watch them fully commit, I don't want to do it. I, it, it, it. It does not impress me at all to shoot a duck at 50 yards with 12 gauge. I, I could care less. I don't yeah. even want to go. So you, you have carved out like my ideal scenario because what I say my motto for duck hunting is I'm not trying to shoot ducks. I'm trying to shoot ducks with feet down in isolation where there's no one else around for miles. And that's exactly what you're doing. You're shooting yeah. feet down and, and no one else is around. It's your own spot. And that's yeah. just on public it, land. It, on public land, it is a super challenge to get that done, but yeah, I don't have the patience. You're a lot tougher guy than I am. I, uh, it, it, it drives me crazy. Our closest neighbor is well from our pistol blind, our closest neighbor that's actually going to hunt and shoot anything is a mile and a half east of us. Yeah. When I hear them shoot, it drives me insane. <laughs> I don't want to hear another person shoot. Yeah, amen. I don't want to, don't want to see their headlights. Yeah. I don't want to I don't want to see any of it. I don't want to be around it. That's just how I am now. And and you know, another another rule we have is we don't we shoot zero passing shots. Mm-hmm. The only time I will let them guys, and I always call a shot. On the river, I live on the river, man. When I'm done with the Grand of the National, I go every single day, every yeah. day, Fantastic. and and I can't. And if I miss a day, I start going crazy. Um, <laughs> it's your piece. It's your, that, it your that piece. That's where I like to go. That's where I like yeah. to go. That's all I like to do. I like to watch the river wake up in the morning. I like to watch the world wake up, and that's just where I want to be. And and I live my whole tried to build my whole life around it, and I finally can do it. And so that's what I'm going to do. But um, one thing, one rule we got, unless it's a single goose or it's a, a pair of geese, and let's just say they're at 20 yards, they're flying up the river, I will let those guys shoot those geese if they're just flying by. But if it's any more than that, we do not shoot any passing birds. 
I don't care if it's a hundred geese at 10 yards away. We are not going to do it. I do not care because they live at our place. They live there. And if you were to watch geese in this area or any area along the Platte, North Platte, South Platte, it doesn't really matter. When they get off their roost, they fly immediately north and south to go feed, right? They go north and south. They get off the river as quickly as possible because if they fly up the river out here, somebody's going to pot shoot them. Pot shot out of 50, 60, 70 yards. I, mean, I hate skybusters. I'm like, I, I go crazy on those. But yeah. <clears throat> well, they just immediately fly off the river as quickly as possible. And our and our little stretch of heaven there, a mile and a half, they will literally fly up the river 10 or 15 yards off the water, not a care in the world, honking, moaning, right by our blinds, which they don't even see them because they're so well held. I'm a camo Nazi. So they come up and, 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 they they have they LA they don't have a care in the world mm-hmm. because they know they're not going that's where they live they're not going to yeah. get shot right and and now so now let's just say okay we're done duck hunting for the day for the morning and the, let's say the geese are coming back at like at eleven o'clock in the field so what we'll do on the river sometimes we'll tear down the duck spread and we'll just throw out a goose spread real fast and when they come back oh they're like oh there's geese and they'll come right in they'll dive right in and it's like shooting. You know, however big the flock is, you know, whether it's singles, pairs, fifties or hundreds, they're at 15 yards right. and we're just, we're mowing them down with 28 gauges over yeah. water. And if you because, shoot those pass shots, they'll just fly out of the river and go around. Yeah, is and that- if you shoot those passing shots, when they get off the roost, they go straight north and south and we never can kill them. They just learn not to fly the river. Yeah, they learn not to fly the river and that's right. what I don't want. I want them to be at home. I want them to be at ease. And the ducks are the same way now too. I'm with that with ducks. They're the same way because they live there. And mm-hmm. and three years ago, they didn't live there. Now the geese lived there like that a little bit, but the ducks did not live there. Once I got control of the entire property and I made this refuge, now like I was going to say earlier, now all these ducks are imprinting on this property, mm-hmm. and they're bringing their babies and their other babies and their other babies, and so it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So the imprinting thing, I'm a big, big, big believer in. And, and we just leave them alone. And that's why some of these roosts that you see out here where we live, you know, are there's probably the best duck hunting property in the entire world is right by my house right here. And I, I've hunted there. It's incredible. But he he does that. He owns a, a couple miles of the river, and he only hunts one spot at a time. And he leaves a bunch of it alone, and his roost is massive hundreds of thousands of birds and it's getting bigger because they're imprinting on it and ours is right. doing the same thing and that's what you, you guys bump up against each other is he uh, no he no he's he's farther west than i am where i'm at but i mm. know him really well he's a super good dude and he he he's a believer and out here where, where, where we live and we're very fortunate of this if there is still huge tracts of river that are owned by single people like one person owned four miles on both sides. Mm-hmm. One person owned three. One person owned three. And then it's these huge tracks. And we're all, we all know each other and we all talk about it. And we all kind of collectively came together as a hunting community to leave the birds alone. Yeah. Quit, quit doing that crap. Quit pass shooting. Quit sky busting. Quit, let them leave. And we all believe that. And yeah. it's really, it's taken off like crazy. And our hunting has gotten so good. And, and what people don't understand is not everybody has river property. Not everybody can afford river property. It's expensive and there's not a lot of it. But 
what we do with our refuges, refugees and whatever you want to call it, and and imprinting and keeping the birds in the area and not killing and shooting at them all the places and not having them blind every quarter of a mile, the people that don't have river property, they have a lot of goose, we have a lot of goose hunters out here. So they're out in meadows and cornfields everywhere in the area. We're supplying those birds for them. Mm-hmm. And what people don't understand is, is what we're doing and keeping our discipline helps the entire area. For sure. Yeah. The entire area. So it's, it's a, I'm a big, big believer in it. And it's, it's really paid dividends down the road. Oh, and we play good. a game. It's play a game too. And what I can't stand too. And I've been to other places to hunt and like, you know, let's just say there's six of you out there hunting and you're in a blind and a single mallard comes in and they say, get them. Everybody shoots at that single mallard. We don't do that. That's, that's, we're not 12. And what we do, we play, we, we call uh, the hot seat. I call it the hot seat. I made it up years ago. And you'll see when you come out with us after Christmas, it's called the hot seat. And let's just say Lawton is at the end of the blind, right? So he, I have always on the upwind side because I call a shot. So let's just say Lawton's the first one on the, on the east end. Okay, Lawton, you got the hot seat. You're the first on the hot seat. So what that means is if a single bird comes in, whether it's a duck or goose, the single bird comes in, I call the shot. He's the only one that shoots. Mm-hmm. And if he misses – then it's a free for all. Yeah. <laughs> One miss and it's like a war. I tell you, he misses and it is, oh, <laughs> it's, it, uh, it's bad. It's really bad. So now, now once you're off the hot seat, the next one up, I say, okay, Reed, you're next. And the heat and the next one in line. And he's the only one that shoots. And then it goes yeah. to the next one. And it goes to the next one, it goes to the next one. And we call and we do that. And then sometimes we'll do that with, Hey, hey, everybody shooting. Let's just say everybody shooting a twenty that day. But I want to. I, I so I bring a four ten over and under. Mm-hmm. And if you're on the hot seat, that four ten over and under gets passed up and down the blind. That's great. So if you're on the hot seat, you get it with the four ten. <laughs> and then somebody has to shoot a four ten. We just try. We just try to make it really fun. Um, yeah. And it, and like I said, it's not about stacking them up. Everybody loves to stack them up. Don't get me wrong, but. It, it's about the show and, and, and yeah. doing it right, you know, and, and that sort of thing. Well, that is great. I, I've never heard of people, of big groups of people do that. When we're hunting two, three, four people, we'll, we don't call it the seat, hot seat, but we'll typically like, you know, if two or three guys have three birds, another guy has one bird, you know, he's the first one to shoot. Yeah, but I, yeah. I love hearing about bigger groups doing that and oh, because so that's fun. one thing I, i've i've only been to one guide and it was down in arkansas and it was a great place but i just wasn't used to like six or seven guns and i never knew what i was shooting i was constantly trying to rush to beat everyone so i shot yep. like crap yep. and I, I i was that's i was actually thinking it's like why in that scenario are you not saying hey is there who who doesn't feel like they've shot one? All right, this guy's first on a single. It just makes it, it makes it makes more sense to do it that way. Too. Yeah, and we'll do that with pairs too. So, um, our members, every member that we have, can bring one guest a day, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll do that with with pairs too. Let's just say, okay, you're going to be my guest over over Christmas, right? And let's just say a pair comes in and like, okay, Chris and Elliot, this is your pair. Mm-hmm. So it's a hot seat for for two people. That's great. And, we, and, and then and you you get your first shot, but everybody backs you up. Right. And then we'll do that with like a member and a guest. Okay, guys, this is your pair. Reed, Reed and Andy, this is your pair. 
Lawton and Rhett, this is your pair. And we'll do that because, like I said, we don't care about – it's a pair. There's six guns in the blind. That And, Elliot, we get them to 15, 10 yards. Right, looking them straight in the face. Anywhere. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. So there's no sense in blowing them up, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why we don't shoot 12 gauges because if you shoot a 12 gauge, you're shooting shots you shouldn't shoot. They're too far. Um, and, and if you've, you've not hunted the river yet, but you'll see it, I'm going to tell you how many times I've ran down that river chasing cripples. But people, that bird's at 60 yards going away from you in the wind and they shoot a 12 gauge and they – Wing tip that thing. I'm a quarter yeah. of an ounce chasing that damn bird down. Right. It's just it's it's with the smaller gauges, it keeps you from doing that. It, it it's hey guys, just shoot the initial volley and quit. Yeah. And quit. And and and, and that's what we do. But it's it took a little while for everybody to get on board. Um, and I have not always been like this. I mean, I was a stone cold killer when I was younger. I wanted to shoot everything. Yeah. But now that I'm a little bit older and, and I like the show. You know, like last year, probably one of the best days I've ever had. And, and we decoyed, I'm not exaggerating on this, we decoyed a 1,000 mallards to probably 20 yards east of the blind to 20 yards west of the blind. There was a 1,000 mallards in front of us at 15 yards. Wow. It was insane. The whole. So how did, how did you handle that as the shot caller? What, 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 okay, how did you so handle that? What I did was we had six guys in the blind. And, and so what happened was a whole refuge got up, 10, 15, 20,000 birds got up and they all went out to feed and they're buzzing everywhere. Well, I started getting on the call and this whole group just starts tornadoing down. I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> and they start filtering and they start coming, they land, they land and the rest of them get up and they circle behind and they land again. This took 10 minutes for them to filter. Oh, in. wow. I mean, it was just one right after the other. And then everybody's got their guns and they're just, I mean, 50-year-old men's eyeballs about to bug out of their head. <laughs> and, and I said, I, and it, they all kind of landed, right? They all kind of landed, and it, we let it all calm down. And I said, I go, we are not shooting into this. You, killed, you like, would kill a like, hundred of them. They're like, what the hell? I said, we are, I'm telling you, you pull a trigger, you're done. You're out. <laughs> you're this Because here's the thing. They live there. Yeah. They live a quarter of a mile to the west of me. Why would you do that? Uh-huh. So I'm like, we're not shooting into this. And everybody's like, and everybody's like, okay, God dang it. You know, like, <laughs> yes, sir. What happened? But, but you know how ducks are. They kind of, you know, I made a little bit of noise and they kind of got up and they went west. And they filtered back into the, into the refuge. And there was like four or five left. And I said, okay, guys, shoot those guys. Shoot those. Yeah, right. We killed every one of those, but we didn't shoot into the thousand bunch. And to this day, those guys don't talk about shooting the four or five. Right. They talk about a thousand bunch that landed. That's right. That's right. And that's and that's what they remember. And, and it was a damn thing I ever seen. It was unreal. And and that was that was that was I'll never forget that moment. That was fun. Yeah, that sounds fantastic for yeah. sure. It's not like that every day, but it's but here's the thing: you're not going to shoot them at 15 yards if you shoot them at 50. Yeah. One you thing I, I've started to realize about people that don't shoot what I would consider the proper shots. There's some guys that are avid duck hunters that hunt a lot that just don't get shot selection. But I think a lot of it comes down to how much you've done it, how many birds you've killed. I mean, the yeah. average, the average hunter it hunts like three or four times a year. Yeah. So to like to ask that guy to go out and not shoot 40, 45 yard shots when he like basically kills 10 ducks a year. It's yeah. pretty difficult, but you know, it, it, 
is, it is, and, and, and a lot of it's where you live, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go down to Texas and stuff or anywhere like Arkansas or well, someplace in Arkansas, but you go to Louisiana, you they, you don't get birds of decoy like that because they've been yeah. shot at and, 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 and done all the way down south. So they shoot 12 gauges of three-and-a-half-inch twos at 50 yards all day mm-hmm. long. Yeah, because that's what that's all they get. But where we live, it's different, and and, and it's it's the culture where we live. It's the people buying into the system. Yeah. it's it's really unique. I mean, it's up here. I'm telling you, there probably is just as many twenty gauges up here as there is twelve gauges. And ten years ago, you nobody shot anything with ten gauge, twenty gauge except me. Yeah. I mean, it's just well, I've got a twenty gauge, a twenty gauge Weatherby on order. Good. So just for this deal, so well, I got to, I got to get the, I got to get the official calendar dates. Yeah, and if we don't, and if and when you come up, if we do a twenty eight gauge day or four ten gauge day, I got you covered because I cannot. I just asked my wife. I cannot help myself. <laughs> I am a shotgun freak. Yeah, I, I own a whole bunch of them. I can't. I can't. I own like. The same gun too. I just take binds. I don't know why. I, I know you told me I was up there. You've got guns you haven't even opened out of the box. I, I can't tell you how many I have in the box. Still, they're just <laughs> in a box. I, I, I don't. <laughs> so when I come up there, there could be a few gone, and you would have no clue. I honestly would have no idea. <laughs> okay. <Huh. laughs> well, that's all right. Well, yeah, that sounds like a fantastic location. Yeah. Oh, it's um, fun. So before we can't get through this whole podcast without talking dogs a little bit. Okay. So let me throw some dog questions at you. I kind of, I kind of set some of this up uh, ahead of time. How many grand champions? I know it's in the fifties. How many grand champions do you have under your belt? I have 52 grand hunting and retriever champions under my belt. And hopefully more than that. I'm getting ready to head for the grand on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And um, I have seven of them running for a title down there right now. So you could possibly, if if they all pass, you could be at 59. Correct. You seven, seven on Correct. Those. And, yeah, and what are. Third or fourth. That's third or fourth <laughs> most ever. Right. Yeah, ever. that's fantastic. And what, what exactly are the qualifications to um, get your grand champion? So you well, have to pass it twice plus three hundred points. Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, you have to be you have to be an HRCH. Then once you get your HRCH, then you can run it anytime you want. You don't have to qualify or anything like that. But you need um, two grand passes plus three hundred total HRC points. So after you get your HRCH, you have a hundred points, mm-hmm. and then every finish pass after that is fifteen points. So you need to have you need to have basically two hundred and twenty points from running finished and stuff, and then two grand passes. And each grand pass is worth forty points, so that gives you eighty. So you need three you need two grand passes and three hundred points. All right. So uh, people that listen to this podcast, they watch my YouTube channel. They're really familiar with Georgie and and who she is. Talk a little bit about Georgie's dad, Flash, and the accomplishments that, that we've seen that you've seen over his career. Yeah, so I own Georgie's dad, Flash, and I own own Georgie's mom, Isla. Um, Both fantastic dogs. We'll talk about Isla real quick. She's going to be 11 this December. Um, She's running the Master National this year. This will be her last. She's retired after this year's Master National. 
she needs to pass it one more time to be an MNH Hall of Fame dog. So she is a Grand Hunter Retriever champion, Master Hunter, MNR, which is a Master National Retriever. So she has one more shot. And honestly, she should have got it years ago with the COVID deal. And it, it, it really hurt her back then. We didn't run it. But, mm -hmm. but she's a fantastic dog. She's such a sweetheart. And then I own Georgie's dad. His name is Flash. He's one of the best ones I've ever touched. I mean, I've ever stood over, and I've stood over a whole bunch of great ones. And he he is right up there with with the best of the best to ever to ever play the, the hunt test game. Um, he's got five grand passes right now. Um, he's a master hunter. He's an MNR. He only needs one more for his MNH, and he's QA two. You know, qualified OH two. So he's a field trial dog as well. And and he's a a super unique animal. Um, he fall. So I own. A very, I own. I like a very specific dog that I like to hunt with, and I like to own. I own. We own a whole bunch of dogs, but there's a very specific dog that I like. That's my dog, and it's it's basically a 70 pound male, black black male. Um, I like him about 70 pounds. I like him to be super high prey drive, super fast out, super fast back. Just I, I, it's a very and I and I own other black labs and chocolates and yellows and I own all these dogs, but there's, it's a very unique animal and he is just like that. He is a fantastic dog. I can't so, and, and he's a hunting machine. Mm -hmm. I and mean, he literally and, and what's unique about him and Jory is probably a lot like this because he he's the best stud dog I've ever seen. I mean, he can literally breed a possum and they get a new <laughs> title. I've never seen I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. But, it's it's crazy, but he he's so unique. So I take him hunting. He goes with me almost every day. He's eight and a half years old now. He is an absolute monster in the river. I mean, monster. He goes out as fast as he comes back. He loves it. His eyes are fantastic. He just he loves. He doesn't care how cold it is. He doesn't. But what's unique about him is all that power and drive and want to and, and go. You put him in the back seat of your truck. You don't even know he's back there. Mm -hmm. I, it's the weirdest thing. He literally lives in the backseat of my truck all hunting season. And you don't even know he's there. He doesn't yeah. bark. He doesn't whine. He doesn't move. He doesn't. It, and he does the same thing in the house. And yeah. if you pet on him, he just melts. That's but, Georgie. Um, all right. <laughs> it, it, it's crazy. And, and all of his puppies do the same thing. It, the, yeah. He imprints. I've never seen a, a dog, especially a male. I've never seen one imprint themselves more on their offspring than I, i've seen him and i've had mm -hmm. great dogs o'malley breaker jet flash is the next one in line and it's going to be vader's the next one after that but um i've never seen a dog imprint on his babies like he does yeah. it, it's the craziest thing i've ever seen so you still have two do you still have two pups from that litter that are available i actually have go? five i mean the ones that we have right now yeah, so I thought you had two from Flash and Dakota. That I were have left five left from that litter. Oh my gosh! I haven't sold them yet. They're nine weeks old today, or nine and a half weeks old. I have not sold them yet, but they're not cheap either. I mean, I think that's a lot of the deal is, and, and we're not Walmart, right? We're, you don't yeah. come to Flatlander Kennels to to buy a cheap puppy because we don't deal in cheap. We deal in, in great, and then if you want cheap, go someplace else. But they, I got five females, and they're out of a Dakota dog name we have named Dakota. And she's a Grand Hunter Retriever champion. She's a master hunter. She's an MNH Hall of Fame dog. And I have five females available. And they, I can't believe I haven't sold them. But but they're not cheap. You know, they're $3,000 a puppy um, with some training incentives in there, too. But 
you get what you pay for in this world. And the cheapest thing you'll ever do is, you know, when you get a dog is pay for it. I mean, there's, <laughs> that's the cheapest thing you ever do, but we well, have, can some- you imagine a better, a better bred pup than those? I mean, no. those two dogs, no. No. you, you could no. search the entire planet. And I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that Aiken has some litters that are probably comparable in dogs and, yeah. and there, but I mean, there, there's nothing now we run hunt tests, right? So these are the top of the line hunt test dogs, but, but the second generation of their pedigree is all field trial stuff. 100% all field trial, but you, you cannot find a better dog like suited to bite for running hunt tests and or probably field trials and hunting that they, there might be just as good a litter, but there's not a better one out there. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I will put flash up against any stud dog anywhere in the world. I've never seen anything like it. Him and yeah. dogs like that. So as if you're looking to get a sibling, a half sister of Georgie. Yeah. He's got some left. I'd flatlanderkennels.com. Jump on that quick. Yeah. Or go to our Facebook page, Flatlander Kennels Facebook yeah. page. I think we're, yeah. we're we're actually working on our, our website right now, so it might be down. But mm-hmm. go on our Facebook page or get a hold of me off of that, and and um, we'll hook you up. So you've seen Georgie quite a bit this summer because I've been out there, and she is four years old. This is her fourth season of hunting, and my goal. I'm looking. You know, you've been talking to me, looking at your dog's whole career. At some point in her life, whether it's when she's eight, I don't know. I would certainly like to take a shot with her at the grand at some point uh what from everything you've seen from her what would you think would be the biggest area of need for her to achieve that goal i think she could run it i'll be honest with you if 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 i was running her and training her and i got her soon enough i bet you i could run her in the in the spring grand of next year yeah. and i know for a fact the fall grand but yeah. you might have to miss teal season, so that ain't gonna happen. But um, well, hey, if it comes to a one-time shot at that dog in the grand, I think that would be <laughs> that would probably be worthy of uh, missing some teal hunts. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I think I think I think her handling on her blind retrieve got vastly better this summer. I think mm-hmm. you did a great job with her on that. But I still think that can use some work. I think mm-hmm. that could use some work. And I think some of her mechanics around the line can use some work. Remember when we were trying to like line her up and stuff this summer, she was moving yeah. around a little bit on us. Yeah. I think we can, we need to um, clean that up a little bit. And, and um, her excitement level gets to her sometimes because she yes. wants to do it so bad. Yeah. She's moving so fast. Um, I think with a, maybe a little bit more control, a little bit more detail on her on her on her line at, at the line and her mechanics, and then a little bit more blind work, which yeah. goes into control, and just overall just more marks, like right. more marks, just lots more marks. Because yep. you know we train every day. She one hundred percent in my one hundred percent of my mind has plenty of talent to do it. There is yeah. talent's not the, not the issue. It's just cleaning up a few things because let's just face it: you're an amateur that mm-hmm. you know you you started building her and you've done a really really good job. But we just got to clean up a few things, and I think yeah. she'd have a great shot at it. Yeah, the first dog I've ever really put effort into, and it was just a little sloppy. Is really yeah. I mean, the, that's the, just but, but sloppy. You've done a good job, and and when you were out here, you know that week or two, or however long it was. She's gotten vastly better 
yeah. um, with more consistency and better timing and, and, yeah. and that sort of thing. She learns quick. I'll tell you that she is a oh, quick learner. You cannot break her will. There's nothing nope. you can do that's going to upset nope. her. Nope. She's just so that's I have going for me. But she I'm is a lot of dog for me. <laughs> she is a lot of dog. You know, she gets a lot of her brains from her mother. Her mother is 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 extremely intelligent and does a great job. But that that will that prey drive and that want to come from daddy and, and it's yeah. it's uh, if I could if I could have eighty five dogs in the kennel and if I have every one of them around a flash, I, yeah. I'm gonna I'll rule the rule the world. And we yeah. probably I don't know how many we got out there now, but we got a bunch of them. But they're, oh, they're that she gets that from daddy. There's just no doubt about that. Well, hopefully when I come up in December, you'll hunt Flash because I would love oh, to get him go. on video. And he's gonna go. I mean, yeah. if he's capable of doing it, physically capable and all that stuff, which he better be because he's my boy. But he is, mm. he he's gonna trust me. He's gonna go. And the next one in line is a dog I own named Vader, mm-hmm. which um, I owned a dog before Flash named Jet, and Jet was cookie cutter just out of the same mold i mean i'm talking a bad to the bone dog he had nine grand passes wow master hunter m and h and that and that dog was 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 what flashes to me then and i own a dog named vader which is a jet son a jet mm-hmm. son um one of the nicest he is literally a cookie cutter of jet just smaller version he yeah. is identical to that dog and i own him now and that will be I don't want to say a replacement to Flash, but that is the next one in line. And he's only hunted once or twice his entire life, so he's going to get. He, we're going to take a little bit of pressure off Flash this 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 winter, and we're going to hunt. We're going to hunt him a little bit because we got. He's the next one in line for the for the dog vest. Yeah, I can't wait to see that dog vest. Yeah, he's a beast. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on here with me. And those of you listening, remember check out the podcast. Flatlander Kennels podcast with Chris Jobman and also the Flatlander Kennels YouTube channel. If you like this content, we do a lot more over there. We get out a couple a month. Um, so make sure and get in on that. Well, thank you for spending time with us, Chris. You got anything else before we get out of here? Man, anytime you want me on here, I would love to talk ducks. I love that's yeah, I'm gonna tell you, duck hunting Harley Davidson's, I'm all about it. So you let me know when you want me on here, and I'll, I'm I'm happy to do it. Yeah, you know what? When we're recording for the other podcast throughout the season, even if we just do like 10, 15 minute hunt updates, like how that would be a really great little segment. Well, and we're going to do that because I'm I'm going to go every day after I get home from the national. Eileen and I yeah. are going to go on vacation to Mexico real quick, and then I will literally be duck hunting every single day. So, um, yeah, I would love to do that. And 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 like uh, migration reports and you know yeah. stuff like that. I, I'm, Fantastic. I'm, 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 I'm a geek when it comes to all that stuff. And and I don't care about shooting a goose. I could care less. I wouldn't shoot a goose if it attacked me most of the time. But now yeah. a duck, that's a different story. Yeah, we're kind of the same mold a little bit with that stuff. I'm a duck guy to the core. I want oh, to that, there's no doubt. decoy ducks. I want to shoot them at about 15 yards. I will yeah. shoot some geese, but I could, you know. It's yeah. all about the, it's all really all about the mallards. I love I'll all shoot. ducks, but I want to kill mallards. Man, I I like to let them land and water swat them. That, I, man, I tell you what, I, that's that's me. Because here's the thing: you can't trick him any better than that, right? And right. Most quick, clean kill. So. Oh man, you have no idea how pissed off people get on YouTube when they that's see fine. you water swatting. You'd be, oh, you'd be mad it's all constant. you want. It's constant. You can be mad at me all you want. Just you know what? Go hunt someplace else, and I don't give a damn because I'm going to tell you: once you get them on the water, you won, and that's yeah. the quickest, easiest, cleanest kill. Right. That's right. And 
and say, and it's, and be honest with, I mean, and if they don't want to shoot them on the water, that's fine. They're just, right. you know what? I don't care. The most efficient, cleanest, most ethical shot in the game. And people want to cry about it. It's just 100%. 100%. Now our club members, I'm going to tell you, I don't know how many, <laughs> okay. I'll be laying on the water. I'm like, okay, guys. Let him clear the decoys before you shoot him. <laughs> really? Really? And there's decoys. I'm like, really? They're just putting my decoys. I'm like, come on. Come on. Uh, and they, they don't care. They don't care. <laughs> it's hilarious. Oh, that's great. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we will talk again later. Until All next right, time. Bye-bye. This has been another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast.